Well, good morning, and Merry Christmas. Um, we're happy to be, Allison and I are happy to be here this morning, and I introduce Allison because once everybody knows her, they start to treat me better. So um, if, you, if you focus on her and listen to me, we'll be doing really well. That was great worship this morning. Thank you for that. It seems like for the last several years, at least 20 of them anyway, we pop in here during the Christmas season for the tradition, and you're, the way you all celebrate that. Um, some other churches don't do that like you do, and so we come in here, Darla, Caitlin, um, um, and Velma, thank you for leading us in worship this morning. And I know that if they weren't here, if one of them, there's several that could fill in in different places, and that's really cool about this church. I don't understand completely how you do your, your, your program, so this morning I was interested to learn that a gentleman named Brick Brook wrote no, the first Noel. And so um, when I was looking through that, I said, it says first Noel, Brick Book, and I thought, I didn't know that's the guy that wrote that. So <clears throat> and I thought it might be the guy that led us in that song, but it wasn't either of those. So I got it, though. Okay. Um, and John explained well what led to this, um, but Alice and I really did want a chance to thank you, not only for your recent gift to Lakeside Camp, and that's really was, was important. Um, we, we really strive at Lakeside Camp to keep it the, the low-cost alternative, a low-cost alternative. We haven't raised our fees in a long time, and that's because of generosity of the people that support us. And, and this year you helped us do that in a very meaningful way for the next several years. But also for your years of sending campers, staff, and cookies, and cooks, and supplies, your many prayers that support us. Um, many years before Alice and I were even in this area, uh, you were a mainstay of that with your people and your support of it. And, and the programs that are in place that came out of this body for, large, um, for a large part, for a large extent. So, um, so our family, and our family has found themselves closer to God over the years because of Lakeside Camp, and, and you guys are a big part of that. So like John said, if you're going to be here, you might as well preach. Um, I do want to encourage you as a body, as you're in the pastor search situation, um, in the pastor search opportunity, is that I've been through that a few times at, H, at Harrisonville Community Church. Um, uh, we, we, I was on three pastor search committees. I was 0-3. I don't know why they asked me back for the last one. But, uh, but, um, um, but that being said, the, the pastor search process, while you're as a body determining who you are and praying about what God wants to do with you, and then finding the right fit for that is a really good time. It's a solidification time. And I want to encourage you through that. You have our prayers in support of that because we've been through it. But also, um, I'm, in, in a way, I'm envious because it's a really neat time to search your own souls, the souls of your whole body, and then how you're unified in those goals. And so I want to encourage you through that. And you are in our prayers for that. What I would, was going to do is start this off because we're focusing on joy this morning that with the Advent order that we're going through. I was going to read Luke 2, but I think we covered that, didn't we? Um, but I want to emphasize verse 10. The angel said to them, he said, uh, and the angel said, Fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Good news of great joy. And then he goes on and, and tells about what the, that joy is based on. And for hundreds of years, the church has anticipated the coming of Jesus during the season of Advent. The third week of waiting for his arrival invites us to receive his joy. Jesus arrived after a period of 400 years of silence, confusion, and longing for the Jewish peoples into the space where the angels announced to the shepherds the good news of Jesus that would bring joy to all people. 
During Advent, we celebrate the joy that Jesus offers us. And that joy comes from coming close to Him coming close to all humanity. To Him coming down and becoming man. And, and being closer to humanity, a relationship they hadn't seen Him in before. And offering us a relationship with God that we haven't seen before. And with one another. Actually, we have seen it before. We'll talk about that in a minute. We also anticipate the joy of the day when Jesus will return again. And his kingdom will bring a time of unhindered relationship with God and each other. When we'll be eternally free from the presence of sin and death. So let's talk about this joy we celebrate today with the, that the angels proclaimed. The word joy appears over 400 times in the Bible. It's, it's a main theme. Um, you know, one thing, I got to preach some when we were in our interim, and our new pastor is allowing me to fill the pulpit some. And what, he, and what I get to do while preparing these messages is study the Hebrew and Greek uh, root of the words that, that, that are the main focus of the sermon. And I did that today um, a little bit. And the thing about the Hebrew and Greek words, I wish I, at a younger age, learned those languages better. But back in those days, really smart people told me it's very hard. And so if those people had a hard time with it, I thought I would too. I'm struggling with Spanish. I speak this thing called Spanglish, um, which is because I need to for work. But Hebrew and Greek are really cool words because they have a very specific root to them, but then have a really broad application. So when it comes to joy, the word joy, there's three or four or, or uh, there's several Greek and Hebrew words. And Hebrew is more like this than Greek. There are several words that mean joy. There's kara, shashom, shaken, words like that that mean joy. And, and, and they all mean the same thing. It's the joy of the Lord. But then their application goes across things. Like the word from, for wedding has the word joy as its root. The word for childbirth has joy as its root. Do you all get what the, what's going on there? Well, our language doesn't allow that. We have separate words and separate meanings. But the Hebrew word, it ties all through. And I think that's beautiful. I would go into it in complete detail, but John tells me if I'm still going at 1 o'clock that I'm going to lose some of you. So I need to, to get right to the, what, what the root of this is. Those of you who are not used to my sense of humor are probably sitting next to someone who is. So just watch the way they do this, and you'll know what that's about. All right? All right. So, but one thing, where Paul uses this word to its full meaning, he says in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, be joyful always. Now, I'll give you time to look up scriptures as I go through them, because I don't have slides today. Um, slides are distracting to me. They, they, they cause me to lose my place. I don't know if it's ADD or lack of focus or nerves, but either way. Um, so I'll give you time to look up scriptures as I go through them. First Thessalonians 5.16 uh, says, be joyful always. And joyful, the, the, the joy was, was built into creation right from the beginning. There was joy in creation. If you look at what God was saying when, when Moses was writing about God creating the world, he said um, he created the light and it was good. He created the land and separated it from the waters and it was good. He created the planets and the seasons and the, the outer space and it was all good. He created the plants and animals and it was good. And then man and woman he created and it was very good. He was building enjoyment into all of creation. Um, Lakeside, last, uh, in 2021 in Lakeside, we had creation as our theme. And really, if you look through creation and you look at what God intended with creation, it was to bring joy. It was to bring bring um, delight into the, 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 the world at the time. And that's why he created everything out of his, his longing for joy, his longing for delight, built, was built into creation. We studied that. And then last year we looked at what that means to you. 
You know, he created you for joy. He created you because in his image for, for his own pleasure and for, for you to have relationship with him. Um, one thing we looked at when we were looking at creation was the creation psalms. There's over 150 psalms, um, and 73 of them are thought to be written by David. Of these, six are called creation psalms. And what they are is taking what God created and, and, and applying joy to it, but using it as a, as a form of worship. They're giving creation a voice of worship. Um, if you're taking notes, it's Psalm 8, 19, 29, 65, 104, and 139. Again, I don't have time to read them all to you this morning. Um, um, but that, that they're so-called because they, they provide... We'll look at how God wants us to view Him in relation to His works of creation and take joy in them. You think of, of guys that really like, people that really like the outdoors. I used to always say outdoors men, and out, but I, I go to church with a, a, a person named Lori Cress who is, out hunts every man I've ever known. So I, I don't talk about outdoorsmen anymore. I talk about outdoors people. There are some, um, so, but there's, um, but people that really love the outdoors understand this. They may not know the exact reason for it. But when they see creation, when they're out in the outdoors, when they see mountains and streams and, and sunsets and sunrises, they, they attach, you start to attach that, that, that creation that God made and get some of the joy out of it that he intended at the time. But the main reason was, was, was not that... Um, the main reason of, of this, the main... The main issue and in the joy is not what God created. What, 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 what God created is only has this full joy in it if you attach it to the Creator. And he created Eden with that same heart. Um, create, Eden was a place where God had his full joy of creation un, uninterrupted, unmarred by sin, unmarred by pollution. He made the full of his joy of creation in the Garden of Eden. And then the other thing that made it so joyful was he, the, the opportunity in Eden was for man to walk in complete, uninterrupted fellowship with God amongst that creation. And so that was why God, that's how he created Eden. And he walked with man in his relationship. But then the fall happened. And Adam and Eve were deceived in thinking they could achieve God's joy without him. They actually, uh, Satan actually used part of God's creation that was created for the joy of people to to, to, to short-circuit God, you know, to go around it, to get people to want the creation itself instead of the Creator without going through the Creator, without attaching it to the Creator. So they thought they could get joy without Him. They thought they could have what He created without going through Him. And then you see what happened in Genesis 3.8. I'm going to read from Genesis 3.8. And Adam and Eve were... Here's God walking in the garden like he always has. Adam and Eve normally would not even notice he was there. Or they would notice he was there, but it wouldn't interrupt anything. It was all part of the creation. It was for God to walk with them in it. But then, after the fall, after they started to get the joy without God, Genesis 3.8 says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, as he always has. It doesn't say that. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. God among the trees of the garden. They actually hid in his creation, right? They were afraid. So now God's closeness doesn't bring joy. It brings fear and shame. Then Eden, then Eden is the place of God's presence and complete joy became off limits. Sin was then, and has always been, 
trying to achieve God's joy without him. So then the rest of Scripture is God trying to restore us to the place where we can live in his presence, have relationship with him, walk with him, know him in his truth, experience the joy he intended for us to have when he created us in his image, in paradise, in Eden, for us to live in fellowship with him. From the fall on, the Scriptures are a crescendo of joy. Crescendo is a music term. I don't know if you all used to that or not, but it all starts. I often misapply terminology. Allison's used to that in the veterinary realm. It all starts with prophecy that God speaks. To, and it all starts then. This whole crescendo of joy kicks off with God prophesying to Satan himself. Listen to this in Genesis 3:14. Genesis 3:14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are, you, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And then verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise your heel. How many of you saw the passion of the Christ when... When Jesus crushed the head of the serpent in the Garden of Gethsemane. That, that's a really telling, and this whole verse came to life then. So after the fall, Israel continued to choose the path apart from God, paths apart from God. And they get exiled and dominated by foreign armies, enslaved. God delivers them, and he gives them the law. And the law tells them what he is like, and he points to the need for the promised coming Messiah. So they could live with the joy of the promise of walking with him again. Once they start to understand what God is like and want to be like him and want to be with him, they can at least see the promise of walking with him again. The law tells them what God is like. It tells them what he wants. Eden was that. They didn't have to have the law when they were in Eden. What God was like and what God wants was right there, right before their eyes. Or they could ask him. He was right there. The, the, the law also provided ways, ways for them to be in God's presence. If you want to be in God's presence, you do this. And it, temples, arcs, sacrifice, atonement. But mainly, it was to point them toward their need for the Messiah. It says, you're going to look at this law and want to use this law to get to know me better. You're going to want to use this law to, 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 to be like me and be with me. But the law is not enough. Right? It's going to show all the shortcomings of people if they focus on what God created, the law, instead of the Creator. No Israelite was ever saved by keeping the law of Moses. No obedience could make them religious before God. Uh, Romans 3.20 says that. Romans 3.20. Why then? Well, really, it was to protect them from their idolatry, to keep them from, from having other gods, you know, and other, other ways of getting at God's blessings. But it also reminded them that their God is the only true God. That that's the only way. The law reminded them the mighty miracles God performed when he delivered them from Egypt. And that's how the law starts. This is what I've done for you to date. Even though you're sinners, I've delivered you from Egypt. I delivered you from slavery. I protected you from these things. It was, it was, the law was a statement of promises kept. God gave the law to convict men of sin also. The law makes it clear that we're all sinners. The law makes it clear that no man can meet the standard of God's perfect righteousness. And if God allows his perfect righteousness to be compromised, then it's not perfect righteousness. And we can't be in the presence of that as long as we're sinners. 
Everyone is guilty. It says in James 2.10, Whoever shall keep the whole law, yet offend it in one point, is guilty of all. The conviction of the law goes hand in hand with the Christ-oriented purpose of the law. The law was given as a teacher to drive people to Jesus, as it says in Galatians 3.25. By showing the impossibility of perfect obedience, the law points sinner to the only one who can make the unrighteous righteous. The law does not save, but the law points humanity to the salvation possible by faith in Jesus Christ. And this has been the law's purpose since it was first given. It's not just the law, but during this time, God also spoke through the prophets to reveal himself and his plan to our return to his joy and complete fellowship with him. Isaiah 49.13 Isaiah 49.13 talks of the coming of restoration. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord God has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. And then in Isaiah 15.11, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Go back and go Zion, Eden, the New Jerusalem, the city of David. You know, we'll come to Zion with singing. For the, um, excuse me, uh, Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Then the reason for the joy was also prophesied and promised. In Isaiah 7.14, you're familiar with this, Isaiah 7.14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means class, God with us, right? Even the prophets, and then prophecies even told where it was all going to happen in Micah 5.2. But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancients of days. So when the angels, so let's get back to when the angels announced, angels announced Jesus' birth. There was joy because all these promises were starting to be fulfilled. And probably in a big way. As I said earlier, it was 400 years before this that since they had been, that they'd been hearing from these prophets. Over 400 years, Israel waited for a Messiah. And this is key. It was the shepherds that heard us first. If they were the first, this must be for everyone. I mean, think about what the shepherds were at that time. They were uneducated. They were social outcasts. They probably didn't smell too good. They were not going to... You know, these people were of such humble being in humble circumstances, they were not going to mistake the true joy for happiness based on their circumstance. The joy they felt then was coming from God because there was not a lot around them to bring them joy. They were not going to take any credit for being worthy of this message and being the ones to receive it. They weren't going to underestimate their need for a Savior. There have been several positions stated through the, the centuries as to who this joy is for. You know, the, you know for, for a while it was the Jews only. This joy is for the Jews only. The Roman Catholic Church said it was for the baptized. The Calvinists said it was for the elect. Now everyone, now what the angels are proclaiming, it's for everyone. Unless it's rejected. Because it says, And the angels said unto them, be not afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the people. For there is born this day a city 
of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, as we read in Luke 10, 10 through 11. The place is non-distinct. I think that's on purpose. If you look at, um, if you look at things in Scripture that happen, um, uh, you know, and what this says about the, the, the location of where the, where the, the, the um, shepherds were when this, this came, said in that same country the shepherds were. And that would describe a circle around Bethlehem, um, as, with Bethlehem in the center. It could be in any direction from Bethlehem. It didn't say, you know, a specific direction. And it's, it's difficult and, and almost impossible for us often to place the, the, the exact locality of, of, of these sacred scenes. Like, you know, we know where Moses was buried, kind of, but not exactly where. We, we, we know that Jesus was born in a stable in Bethlehem, but we don't know exactly where. Um, you know, I think the thing, uh, you know, tradition says that they were a thousand paces from Bethlehem. And the reason tradition says that is there's a tower a thousand paces from Bethlehem that where they used to keep the sacrificial sheep uh, while they were waiting the, the ceremonial sacrifice. And it was kind of a, just a holding area for these sheep. But these were shepherds out in the fields watching their flocks by night. And if you look at the King James Version of, 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 of the shepherds deciding to go to Bethlehem, it says they decided to go even unto Bethlehem, which if you look at the translation, that means all the way over to Bethlehem. That doesn't mean a thousand paces. It means way over to Bethlehem. You know, that might be going all the way to Drexel or somewhere, you know, um, uh, but uh, uh, so it, it, it's probably further away. But I think the Bible in these circumstances is 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 uh, in God is God's word is being nonspecific for a reason. You know what it is? We get hung up on the location right where it actually happened, where they think where the historical, uh, you know, uh, Jews think that that. The actual stable was they built a cathedral over it, and they burned candles in it and everything. Uh, Randy Evers, our, our previous pastor, went there, and he said it's, it's almost touristy looking, right? And, and if it, if, So I think if we knew exactly where the shepherds were, there'd be a shrine there of some kind. I was in a state a few year, uh, several years ago. I worked for a company that had me doing some international work, and, and um, it was working with, with farmers, the livestock farmers, so I was out in the country. I wasn't in touristy areas. And there's one town called Disona, Spain. There's a cathedral that was built in the 11th century or 12th century. And someone someday thought they saw an a image of the Virgin Mary there, of, 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 of the Virgin Mary. And so right where that, that person said that vision was, there's like a shrine. And people, thousands of people, walk on their knees up the aisle to that shrine to pay penance for their sins. The people walk, families link arms and walk kilometers on their knees down cobblestone roads to pay penance to that site, that site where someone said they thought they saw Mary. That's why I think that this location of all these things is not distinct in Scripture. That was free. That wasn't part of the sermon, really. But um, uh, <clears throat> So, where, exactly where the shepherds were, it doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't matter how far. They were out in the field at night. So think about this. They're out in the field at night. It's dark. They're watching for predators. And all of a sudden, the whole sky lights up. You know, that, that they started to come unglued. Much like Moses, when the bush started to burn but not be consumed. And I think the scripture probably downplays what their reaction really was because they were illiterate. They didn't write it down, right? So, you know, but I expect they said words and, and, and had reactions that got understated and literate. But they, they didn't run to local officials. They didn't call 911. They didn't panic and run off. They went to the source of the announcement. The angel told them, no, number one, be not afraid. And, 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 but, so they, but they didn't go 
where you think they go. They went to where the angel told them the source of the joy was. Whatever that joy was that was proclaimed, they wanted it and they wanted to be a part of it. So they ran to Jesus. You know, why was this a proclamation of great joy? Well, think about the reassurance of it, first of all. Um, you know, if there's a song, um, uh, um, I can't remember, um, it's no longer a slave to fear, um, but it's a great song. Because fear can enslave you, right? Um, but where God is, there's no fear. The angel's first words were, be not afraid, or fear not, which, uh, which occurs 365 times in Scripture. The angel said this a lot. Angel said, fear not a lot to Abraham, to Isaac, to Gideon, to Daniel, to Zacharias. It's surely a direct message from a kind and loving God. God's first words to us through his angels is always, fear not. You know, Jesus said that a lot when he walked on the water, when he, when he um, calmed the storms. He said, fear not. Or why did you fear? If you knew me, you wouldn't fear. Did he get it from the angels or did the angels get it from him, right? He's eternal. They probably got it from him. Always when these words spoken, they reflect God's divine nature. They're speaking about God. But this night... Fear not was accompanied with the reason to not be afraid. The announcement of God's real presence. You know, when Jesus said, fear not, he was saying, I'm here. Right? When he, whenever he encountered, he said, fear not, because I'm here. And that's what the, God, the angels were saying. Fear not. He's here. The birth of Jesus was the answer, the cure for such fears that rush upon the shepherds when the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone about them. They feared as the mystery and the stillness of the night were broken by that strange invasion. What a, a flash of light. What might follow it? What's next? And the angel said unto them, Be not afraid. What I'm coming with is joy. I'm bringing you tidings of great joy. With that glory was the love of God, and all that it might disclose must come from Him who so loved the world that He sent His Son to be born, suffer and die for them. There must be awe indeed in coming near to God and realize how near He comes to us. But it's like awe with which every earthly goodness, greatness, and wisdom at their highest touch us. Think about it. Think about the awe of the sunsets. That's one thing about when we moved to this area. Alice and I are not from here. Um, but the sunsets and sunrises, we see them for a long time here. You know, and, and they're, they're beautiful. People from back east, they're uh, our relatives that come from back east are just amazed at how long and how pretty our sunsets are and sunrises are. Um, Alice and I have been to Mount Zion. We were upstate New York this past, um, this fall, right during peak leaves. And it's striking, you know. But, but it's only, it's so much more awe-inspiring as you start to relate it to God and His creation. It's God's creation. His whole purpose was to bring us joy, fellowship with Him. It's not like our terror or fear that comes to us with usually things that never come to pass. Imagine the joy when they realized the intensity of that revelation was not God's wrath that they might be fearing. They realized it was an explosion of God's love for all mankind. You know, I've read fear is a joy killer in, in secular books. I don't think so. The joy of the Lord is a fear killer, I believe, is what this verse is saying. There's also joy when we realize God keeps His promises. Um, prophecy fulfilled is promises kept. That's, that's, that's a promises kept to the shepherds and all who encounter Jesus will find joy in knowing He keeps His promises. 
Right after, eight, eight days after Jesus was born, his parents took him to the temple to make a sacrifice and to, to, to basically commit him to the Lord, which is the tradition. And in verse 25 of Luke 2, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in spirit to the temple. And when the parents brought the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said this prayer. Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He's saying nothing else matters anymore. I've seen the, the, the joy of salvation. I've seen your presence coming to earth. I've seen God becoming man. I can die now. I have nothing else that I need to do. That you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles, a glory to your people Israel. Then later, um, then father, uh, and, uh, talking about Mary and Joseph, and his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And he said, And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So Simeon was claiming prophecy. He was claiming the answer to prophecy, the fulfillment of prophecy. But he was also prophesying about Jesus' future. And says, Mary, you're full of joy now. And there's going to be joy in this, this being the fulfillment of Scripture. But it's going to break your heart later on. Um, Alice and I have, have really enjoyed um, um, Sights and Sound Theater. Uh, we've been both to Lancaster and the one down by Branson. And, the, the, and we re, have recorded the Jesus story that, that in, their, in, their, in their version. Or their, not their version, it's the right story. But their, their depiction of it. And um, the Jesus story we just watched the other night. And um, um, after we watched Christmas Vacation several times and Heart, it's Home Alone and all those. But we watched Sights and Sound Theater Jesus. And one scene that was really emotional and, and, and hard to watch, um, those of you who know me, this happens too, um, is, is that, that Mary was, was at the foot of the cross and they were taking the body of Jesus down and she was lamenting, lamenting the pain, lamenting the sorrow, the grief and all that. And then they flashed back and up on the other part of the stage was the cave when Mary, a younger version of Mary, singing a similar song of joy and they were going back and forth. The joy of his birth, the joy of Jesus becoming man, of God becoming man, and the sorrow of what he was going to have to do because of our sin, what what was brought upon him because of us. It was really cool. So it's not fear, but it's grief, wonder, and joy. It's awe. Then, as Jesus grew in ministry and walked among the disciples, he talked about joy. He talked about the joy of his kingdom. The thing Jesus talked about the most wasn't repenting for sin. It was, in a sense, but it was, it was about the kingdom. It was about the joy that's going to be available to all of us in the kingdom. Everything Jesus did was preparing his people for the kingdom, the coming of the kingdom. And a portion of that kingdom can be lived. The joy of that kingdom can be experienced while we're here on earth. That's what Jesus' ministry was. Joy in Jesus' day. The joy of which was speaking through his life, ministering, and teaching was all about his kingdom. During the Christmas season, a lot's written about the joy that was proclaimed to the shepherds in the field. However, this joy 
includes um, infinitely more than what is usually written and spoken about. Usually people only write about Jesus' birth and he came to forgive our sins, right? We all know Jesus died to erase guilt and shame. Every day we come to him for grace. And he's faithful to give us grace upon grace. When we're quick to confess and forgive, we can move forward in the freedom of repentance in Jesus Christ. He came to atone for our sins. However, Jesus came to do much greater work. He came to destroy the works of the devil in our lives. 1 John 3.8 says this, And usher in his kingdom. This is his plan since the beginning, to restore us with right relationship with him, to walk with him and have his joy. John 15.8 John 15.8 says this, starting in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and this is Jesus talking to the disciples toward the end of his ministry before he's crucified, that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love, walk with me. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in this love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be complete, be in you, and your joy may be full. Then in John 17, 12, he's praying to, to God before he's crucified. And he says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction. That the scripture might be fulfilled, but now I'm coming to you, these things I speak in the world. That they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Adam and Eve failed. Israel and all their kings failed. But coming to earth as the man... God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, would not fail. Romans eight three through four. Romans eight three through four says, "For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be filled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit." Now this Jesus' glorious life can be manifested in us daily if we follow and abide in Him. 2 Corinthians 4, 8-11 through 11 says, 2 Corinthians 4, 8-11 through 11, we, are afflicted, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus might be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. You know, society often takes the word joy as synonymous with happiness. Um, even Webster's Dictionary says, says joy is a state of well-being and contentment, a pleasurable or satisfying experience. They tie joy of God to, to or the joy to to happiness, and then the two are linked in, in a lot of ways, but um, but I don't think we're getting the distinction. Um, you know, joyfully doesn't mean the same thing that Bob Mar- Marley said in the song "Don't Worry, Be Happy." That's not what joy is. It's it, it, it is that. I mean, joy does allow us to, to get, see through circumstances, but it's more than that. Coding, you know, joy and happiness are codependent; they're related. Um, you think about the joy we have when. Uh, uh, you know, when we have a good relationship with Jesus, there's joy in our life, and that brings happiness, right? It brings almost an outflowing of it, giddy laughter and contentment. 
you don't believe me, come to Lakeside next year. We're deep in the silly leader position. <laughs> we practice our own form of Calvinism, if it were. <laughs> you know. um, but there is a joy that supernaturally sustains our souls in seasons of heartache, sorrow, when happiness is hard to find. You know, recent events in, in your family lives, John mentioned several of them, we find our hearts breaking, yet joy carries us. Nehemiah says, Ezra read before Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is your strength. As many of you know, better than me, biblical joy is an inner joy that has its root in knowing Christ. That's the difference between happiness and biblical joy. Though our lives seem to be falling apart, we can choose our place in our lives in the capable hands of the Father, our Defender. The difference between the definition of biblical joy, the difference in the biblical definition of joy is the source. Worldly possessions, accomplishments, even people in our lives are blessings that make us happy and can feel joyfulness. However, the source of all joy is Jesus. God's plan from the beginning, the word, word, word was made flesh to dwell among us, is a rock-solid source for joy and reason for joy. It allows us to navigate all the difficult situations of life. The absence of happiness, we can be, have unhappy things happen and, and sustain our joy. Happiness is a state of mind, while joy is rooted in faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus experienced all pain that we did, but he brings joy because of the incarnation. You see, there's no bell curve to joy like there is happiness. Eventually we stop laughing, but joy sustains us. Simply put, joy is choosing to respond to external circumstances with inner contentment and satisfaction. Because we know that God will use these experiences to accomplish his work in and through our lives. Happiness is external. It's based on situation, events, people, places, things, and thoughts. Looking at it this way, the biggest difference between joy and happiness is, a react, is happiness is a reaction to something great. Joy is the product of someone great. The best personification of biblical joy despite circumstances is the story of Job. You all know the story. But Job starts out that story. It starts out his dealing with the situations in his life. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the end he will stand on the earth. I thought Nicole C. Mullen wrote those words. It was actually Job. Job 19-25. to 25. Think of it. He was stripped of every good thing he had on this earth. Family, possessions, health. It was all gone. He didn't try to hide it from God. He didn't, he didn't sugarcoat his pain. He, he let God know he was hurting. And, it's, and he was open with God. He was honest with God. He said, why, you know, ask him why this is happening. And then he says, he comes to a resolve. He says, he spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. God's in control of it all regardless of our circumstances. Joy is rooted in who God's in. Who God is. Job says, The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. With that, you can have joy in any circumstance. In James we read, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. James 1, 2. Trials aren't joyful, are they? No one prays to have more trials in their life, right? But those who trust in God can see that the trials are in their life to teach them something and to bring them closer to God. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in a verse I quoted earlier, First uh, Thessalonians five sixteen through 18 Be joyful always. Pray continually. 
Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Philippians is full of reasons to give God joy, or reasons to give God thanks and receive joy. And he wrote Philippians from prison. He was tortured. He tortured Christians before he came one. And he was facing imminent death for, for proclaiming the word the way he did. But he kept them to be, he had physical circumstances in his life that were, that were trying. Remembering who God is, what he's done for us in the past, poking our thought, align us with his truth, choosing to be grateful and praise God, even in tough times. It's powerful. Like in Eden, the joy proclaimed to the shepherds was God drawing near again. All the elements of God's presence referred to in the law, the atonement for sin, the enter of the Holy of Holies, intercession, were all being fulfilled when Jesus was born. Jesus was born God incarnate, dwelt among us. He was Emmanuel, God among us, without sin, because he's God. He was crucified to atone for our sins. He rose again. They split the temple veil so we have direct access to God. He sits at the right hand of God. He ascends and he sits at the right hand of God. Now he's king of kings, lord of lords over everything. He speaks to us. He walks through us. And then he sends us, now he sent his Holy Spirit to us so he can dwell among us. To enter into God's presence, we just have to go within ourselves and have him in us through his Holy Spirit bearing fruit. And then the Holy Spirit bears fruit. And that's why the joy is listed as the second fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 through 23 reads, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. Um, when John first talked to me, he, he told me I was going to speak on pre- peace. Right? He said the topic's peace that week. And a, couple, uh, a week or so later, he calls me and says, Well, it's not peace, it's joy. Cause he said, You haven't prepared your message yet. This was like three and a half weeks before I was here. I said, You don't know me very well. <laughs> but um, but, but obviously, I was speaking about peace. I'm not sure how different it would be. Right? I mean, because it's almost the same thing as a fruit of the Spirit, certainly. See, we're not capable to activate any of these things in any sustaining circumstance without God's Spirit in us. He's the source of the joy, which makes it impossible to suppress it. So then what I want to start to wind up with is this. So if this joy is promises fulfilled, if this joy is prophecy fulfilled, now we can know that the, the, the things that are prophesied for us, for our future, are just, are, are trustworthy, right? There, there is, um, I don't remember how many, there's, there's like 300 scriptures or something like that that foretell Jesus' first birth, that Jesus' birth here on earth. There's 1,875 prophecies in scripture that talk about Jesus' second coming. God has kept his promise. We can rest in what he said about our future. I'm not going to read all those, by the way. The Bible projects Jesus' return. Um, and and uh, so, uh, But looking at a couple of them, you can look at Acts 1. Um, the, the, Peter's re- referring to some of those. And he said, uh, this is at the ascension. They're looking up, and, and, and Jesus goes into heaven. Uh, this is actually Luke writing, writing in Acts. And he said, while they're gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So he's coming back. The way you saw him go, he's coming back. He's glorified. He's coming back. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, um, talks about the Lord himself defending from heaven. This is 1 Thessalonians 4.16. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a cry of command, 
the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be always with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage means bring joy. And then Revelations describes Eden's re- Eden restored. Revelations 21, 1. Revelations 21, 1. And listen to these words. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared for us as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God, the dwelling place of God, will be with his people. Um, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Doesn't that sound like Eden? That sounds a lot like Eden. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. Their death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Then later it says, um, And I saw no temple in the city. For the temple is the Lord God Almighty Himself. We don't need to go to a temple to, to, to seek the presence of the Lord. It's everywhere. It permeates all of, of the new kingdom. And the city will have no need for sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of the Lord gives it light. Like what the shepherds saw that night. There will be, bring it to glory and honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, enter it, nor will anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. If we get up there, when we get up there, when this new Jerusalem is formed, or if we go to heaven before this comes, we're not going to have to worry about anything getting in the way of our joy. We have full joy now in God, but there's lots of things getting in the way of it, right? The beautiful sunsets and things like that. You hear cars going by while you're looking at those. You don't experience them in their fullness as they were created to be. God's has always been that we'll get in the right relationship. His covenants are for this purpose. All the great blessings of God are finished and complete, but they're not mine until I enter a relationship with Him on the basis of His covenant. Just as the angel was a messenger of joy to the shepherds in the field, so shall we be messengers of joy in the days concerning everything that we obtain by faith in the new covenant. Among other things, it's possible to be a member of the body of Christ in perfect oneness with the Father, the Son, which each other walk in the light. If we have entered into this oneness and have tasted genuine, unfailing brotherly love, we can also with great joy invite others to it. We can truly invite them to something. There's hope for all sinners. If only they will repent. And hate everything that has to do with sin. We have been promised all grace and strength in the battle against sin. We have been promised eternity with Him in the new Jerusalem, where we walk in complete, uninterrupted fellowship with Him and each other, free of pain, disease, and death. Now we're free from the grip of sin. Then we'll be free from its presence altogether. The good tidings of great joy are that we can be perfectly set free from the slavery of sin, and we can serve God in liberty with joy and thankfulness and sincere fellowship with the host of saints that are being cleansed and purified and made ready for Jesus' eminent return. This is a great joy that Jesus was born in a stable in Bethlehem, but it's a far greater joy that I can say he was born in my heart and faith and he dwells and rules in my life by his good spirit. 
That, saints, is a tiding of great joy, and it's for everyone. This season, I pray that it's more real to you than ever before. Join me in prayer, please. Father, today we pray to experience your joy to the fullest. We're completely free in Christ. Remind us and refocus us on our thoughts when we forget this rock-solid truth. Far beyond the fleeting of happiness, your joy sustains us through laughter and sorrow, trial and celebration. You're with us through it all. A true friend, faithful father, incredible counselor. You're our defender, our joy, our peace and truth. Thank you for your grace. We long for the day when the parts of this we experience by faith will be fully realized in an absence of sin and death. But we are assured of that day because of the joy set before us long ago. The joy that you came and dwelt among us and are seated at God's right hand and you're coming again to make everything new. The reality of this brings us joy this morning and every day until that great day. In Jesus' name. Amen.